covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thank you so much for being tuned in with us as we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball, our normal housekeeping items to get rid of here at the top of the program. If you uh, want to get in contact with me, best way to do so via Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air. If you listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast and can subscribe or and or, I guess would be the way to go there, I uh, can leave a ranking and review. That would be fantastic. Here's what we got coming up on the program this week. Two featured guests during our social media conversation. We are going to be joined by a good friend of mine, WTMJ sports producer Ashton Rotman. He is going to be making his debut performance here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. And our first of a two-week conversation with Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball. We're going to do this uh, every month, month and a half, two months, just depending on how things work out. Uh, We're going to kind of uh, go through an in-depth look at the minor league system. Now, last year when we had Brad on, we would go through the entire system in one conversation Uh, This year we're changing it a little bit to be able to really lock in on some more guys. So uh, we'll do uh, both the uh, Timber Rattlers and the Mudcats, low A and high A this week. And the next week we'll bring him back on the podcast to uh, talk about the double A and the triple A teams. As we get started uh, this week, Brewers coming off a uh, series where they lose two of three to Chicago. Really odd in how in back-to-back years... The Brewers have gone to Chicago fairly early in the season. Last year was in April. This year it's in May. Have experienced really bad weather. The bats have kind of gone away, and the Brewers have lost a series. Now, to be fair, last year was worse than this year. Uh, Last year they got swept in a four-game series, got shut out a couple of those games, had a real hard time scoring runs. This year, uh, when they actually had a nice day on Friday, the Brewers picked up a, a good solid win, putting up seven runs. But on Saturday and Sunday, when the weather was bad, they just couldn't score any runs. And I'm not, I know that sound, I know how that sounds. That sounds like I'm using the weather as an excuse for why the Brewers lost those games. Not at all. Clearly, the Cubs had to play in the exact same weather conditions last year and this year. So it's not an excuse. I just find it interesting. I find it peculiar, kind of, kind of odd that it's happened a couple years in a row where. They've gone to Chicago fairly early in the season. I think we're to a point now in the year where we don't really say it's early, but it's uh, at some point there's a line where we go from it being early in the season to it being fairly early in the season. I guess we could so we're we're into the fairly early part uh, of the season now, uh, and here we are. the The most interesting thing to me over the last two weeks, though, and in my job as somebody who hosts a post-game show and talks to fans after games who hear from fans on Twitter and, and sometimes as frustrated as I get look I, I don't have a job I don't have a I don't have a role if people who love the Brewers are not paying attention to the team and maybe being upset about things and things like that and I try to remind myself about that when I do get frustrated at times but it's really interesting to me what has happened over the course of the last two weeks. And we talked about this on last week's podcast. We went from a period where 
I don't know if it's a majority of fans or a vocal minority. I think it's a vocal minority, but I'm never really for sure uh, what a, a large percentage of the fan base really feels. But we went from a point where a vocal percentage of the fans, whether it's a majority or a minority, was really upset with the pitching and was blaming Brewers pitching coach Chris Hook. Since then, the pitching has really turned around. As I talk on Sunday night, the Brewers' team ERA is 4.32. That is remarkable because when you go back two Thursdays to that second game of the Rockies series where they gave up 11 runs in back-to-back games, Brewers' ERA was 5.5. So they've taken off 1.2 runs, basically, over the course of a week and a half. Remarkable. Remarkable. And as I said, we're not early in the season. It's not July or August, but... We're far enough into the season where doing that with the amount of innings pitched is is rather significant. But I started seeing tweets and I started seeing text over the course of the weekend that, you know, fire the hitting coach, fire Andy Haynes. That that seems to be the new thing. Where we missed Darnell Coles. And it, it just to me it's kind of funny because a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, it was fire the pitching coach. And now it's fire the hitting coach. And I guess my point, I'm not trying to repeat myself every week. I really don't want these opening monologues every week on the podcast to be me trying to walk folks off the ledge. I want to talk about things that really do matter, and we will get back to that uh, in future podcasts. But I guess my point being is let things play out. This is a really good hitting team. They're not hitting well right now, but they are a good hitting team. I don't know if they're a really good pitching team or not, to be honest with you, but they're pitching well right now. So that's, uh, that is all that really matters at the moment. Let things play out. Just because they score one run in back-to-back games uh, against the Cubs and just because the, the offense is not done yet this year, what we look, when, when Yasmani Grandal signed and when they brought back Mike Moustakis, we expected this to be one of, if not the best, lineups in the National League. We didn't know that Jesus Aguilar would be struggling. And he's been swinging a little bit better recently after the action on Sunday night's six-game hitting streak. We didn't know that Travis Shaw would be what he has been this year, which is just not very good. We didn't know those things were going to end up happening. They have happened. The offense, I think, will still dig out of it. But like I've said previously with the pitchers, if, if the pitchers don't perform then other guys are going to be on the roster. It's not an immediate thing. Guys are given a chance to step forward uh, from where they're at. Same thing with hitters. There's a lot of talk about Keston Hira. I don't know when he's going to get called up. I have no clue when he's going to get called up. The narrative was always, or maybe narrative is the wrong word, but the the message from the Brewers was always they want him to get uh, a real good taste of AAA before they call him up. That could still be the case, or it could be getting to a point where he is just too good and putting up too too good numbers down there to hold him back anymore, especially if, say, Travis Shaw can't get things uh, turned around. So there are going to be other guys uh, if, if certain individuals don't step forward. But as you're sitting there and trying to lay blame upon somebody, whether it's a hitting coach, whether it's a pitching coach, whether it's an executive, I guess my thought process would be, hang back. Let's see how this thing plays out. Last year, there were multiple times when when they got swept by the Cubs early on in the season. I heard from people, season's over. When they got swept by the Pirates, and what was that, a five-game series, I think, right around the All-Star break? Season's over. 
Well, this, you know when the season got over last year? It got over in Game 7 of the NLCS. That's a darn good season. And they still absolutely they're, – they're within one game after Sunday night's action of where they were last year uh, in win-loss record. There's still a lot of baseball left to be played. This is a very, very good team that two days ago was uh, in a virtual tie for first place. So always funny. Look, that's, that's the way things are in sports. However things are going for the moment – that's kind of how you feel about things. So if pitching is struggling or hitting is struggling, you're looking for a scapegoat, and then eventually, generally more often than not, it's going to come around. In baseball, it's tough to have that mentality because it is a 162-game season. This week, again on the program, we are going to be joined by Ashton Rotman. We're going to be joined by Brad Ford, but let's first off get to this week's headlines of the week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's headlines of the week. Let's start with Jimmy Nelson. He had another rehab assignment, uh, another rehab uh, game that he pitched at uh, AAA San Antonio on Saturday. Five and a third innings, 84 pitches. Gave up a couple first inning home runs, settled in after that. Three runs on five hits, five strikeouts, and a walk. He's got another game coming up on Friday, and we'll see what they do. They could keep him there and continue the rehab assignment. Or they could potentially make a move to bring him back up to the big leagues. But one thing is for for sure, uh, light at the end of the tunnel, it's there. Jimmy Nelson's going to be in the big leagues at some point in the relatively near future. Ryan Braun a little bit banged up over the weekend. This was a bummer. And I'm, I'm not mad at Ryan Braun for dealing with a hamstring issue. We've, we know with him that he's going to uh, deal with those things over the course of the year. Uh, we also know that the weather was not great in Chicago, so maybe if it's 80 and sunny, he's able to go play through it, but you're not going to put him out there in the bad weather and the cold and the slippery conditions and and all that. But the thing that kind of stunk about that or what made it a bummer was they'd really set things up for him to be able to play all three games in Chicago by giving him some time off in the week leading up to it. So you're just kind of disappointed that he wasn't uh, able to get the opportunity to face off against the three lefties in a ballpark that he uh, tends to uh, pretty uh, have pretty good success in. He is hopeful to return to the lineup uh, as they head to Philadelphia. But roster move made late in the week. The Brewers played another extended extra inning game a week after playing an 18-inning game. They played a 15-inning game on Saturday. Wilson Contreras ended it with a home run off of Burt Smith, and he ends up getting sent back to uh, AAA San Antonio, not because he didn't perform well. He did a nice job, three and a third innings. Uh, He had gone three and a third scoreless before giving up that uh, home run, but uh, he gave up the home run. He wasn't going to be able to pitch for a couple days, so they sent him back to AAA and brought Jacob Barnes back up. Travis Shaw took the weekend off, sort of. He did not start any of the three games. He ended up playing probably more in that 15-inning game than they would have liked him to play. The idea was him to take some time away from the game, maybe get some pinch-hitting appearances, nothing more than that, spend some time uh, with film, spend some time uh, with batting practice uh, between Ryan Braun not being available, so you're already down one, and also uh, between that combined with playing a 15-inning game, he ended up getting four plate appearances uh, in that game on Saturday. I don't think they wanted him to get four plate appearances, but sometimes the circumstances dictate what the circumstances dictate. They made a little bit of a change this past week with the starting rotation that Freddie Peralta did not start a game when his spot came up. Instead, they started Adrian Hauser and then went to uh, Peralta in the third inning, the idea being Peralta has struggled 
in the first inning, so why not try putting somebody else in there for the first and second inning and then bring Peralta in after that? They probably would have stuck with that plan, but they used Adrian Hauser on Sunday against the Cubs, and now Peralta is scheduled to get the start on Monday. And uh, just one kind of sad note this past week, and if you're on social media, you probably saw this longtime uh, Brewers press box usher, uh, Lou Montgomery. He passed away this past week, and it was, man, it was a bummer. It was a big bummer, and that's not even strong enough word. Um, passed away at the age of 97. He was working last year at the age of 96. His final game was with the uh, was in NLCS, game number seven last year. He was planning on returning this season, and he uh, took a fall prior to the year getting started, and his health just kind of deteriorated after that, and eventually uh, he did pass away. The Brewers had a a great tribute to him in his spot in the press box where he would normally sit. Uh, He loved reading the game notes, so they left the game notes in his spot. And and just from a personal standpoint, uh, he would always take a break mid-game, and just the way the press box is laid out and where we all kind of sit in our different spots, uh, more often than not, I'm in an area where there's not a lot of people that sit next to me. Uh, and I don't think it's because of me, but it just the, there's a lot of television stations that are uh, assigned to the seats next to me. And a lot of times the TV stations aren't there actually during the course of the game. So he would end up sitting next to me while he took his break, more often than not. And we would just have conversations. And he was a fun guy to talk to. Uh, grew up in Indiana near Evansville, which was a city that I lived in at one point in time. And uh, I miss the guy. I miss him a lot. Really sad that he uh, that he passed away and he was not able to return this year. Uh, and for everybody who's part of the Brewers press box, whether uh, Brewers employees, people like me who are in the media who work up there, we all love Lou. We all loved him. And uh, it was very, very sad that he passed away this past week. All right, those are this week's headlines of the week. Let's get to this week's social media conversation. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our social media conversation. Generally, we bring in folks who uh, work on sites like Brew Crew Ball or BrewerFan.net, or we bring in some other podcasters. Today, we're uh, bringing in a guy who's very active on social media, so that's how I'm able to uh, rationalize that he is our guest on the social media conversation. He is the sports producer for WTMJ. You hear him uh, with Greg Matzik on uh, Sports Central. He is my friend, Ashton Rotman. Find him on Twitter at Ashton underscore Rotman, R-O-T-M-A-N. Let's try that again. R-O-T-M-A-N. Is Friend, that- huh? Hi, Ashton. Hey, Matt. It's How's good it going? To be here. It's yeah. Great. So, look, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest about things. The Sunday night baseball deal kind of put a. I'm used to recording the podcast on Sunday nights, and I've got kind of a routine, and then Sunday night baseball knocks me out of the routine. And I like doing radio with you, so I'm like, you know what? Let's podcast with Ashton. And people who are all in on the WTMJ podcast will remember you as a co-host of the seemingly now defunct, maybe just on hiatus, tripod, where it was you, Justin Garcia, and Scott Warris. 
And I tried to get T-shirts to you know bring the tripod back, <laughs> but nobody wanted to buy those. We're working on it. We're working on it. That's good. I hope to see. I mean, that you were, you were on it a couple times as well. Which yeah, it's always nice to see. It's on my resume. Big moment in my I mean, career. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the the Brewers. Uh, just we're recording this prior to the Sunday night finale, so we don't know if the Brewers won or lost the series against the Cubs. But to me, it's really remarkable what the club has done from a pitching standpoint in the eight games between those two games that they gave up the 11 runs to the Rockies and leading into the Sunday Night Baseball game against the Cubs. 100%. You know, the funny thing is, you look at it, they're not a traditional team. They never have been under Craig Council, especially the last two years as competitive teams with their starting pitching. That's been the most odd thing I think that fans of baseball just in general that don't know the Brewers have recognized. And that's that's been the big thing that they've been able to do is their starting pitching has been able to, I think Craig Council used the word stabilize the other day uh, with Gio Gonzalez when he's back. I just, I'm surprised as anyone, even after those back-to-back, the weird, and weird is a good way to put that Rocky series, after those games, everything is stabilized, and I'm just, I'm as surprised as anybody that it's worked. Yeah, you know, for me, where they were at with an ERA at five and a half, that wasn't sustainable from a negative mm-hmm. standpoint. Where they're at right now, again, prior to the Sunday night game, we don't know what's going to happen, eight straight games of not giving up more than three runs, quite honestly, that's probably not sustainable either. Yeah, that's, I think that's fair, but, but you, like, you've got to find somewhere in between, and I think that is probably where they are as a sustainable team. And their bullpen, that's the thing that I'd be more worried about than anything. If their bullpen, even without Knable, can get back somewhere to where it was towards the end of last season, like that's best-case scenario. Well, last year, when you look at the bullpen from last year, and it was really, really good, but it was really, really good because of three reasons. Mm -hmm. Those three reasons being Josh Hader, Corey Knable, and Jeremy Jeffress. Everything else just fell in. I'm not trying to take a shot at uh, a Joaquin Soria or Xavier Cedeno, who they went out and acquired and did a nice job. Corbin Burns came in, did a nice job. There were lots of guys who did a nice job out of the bullpen, but in games that were tight, they had three guys that they could go to at the back end and just finish out games. Everything else fell into place. So the season gets started. Corey Knable's out. Josh Hader was being used a little bit differently, mm-hmm. which I think impacts him in a negative way. I think when we saw Hader take a little bit of a downturn, that was correlated to the way he was being used a little bit differently. But over the couple last weeks, you had Jeremy Jeffress, regain who he was last year or very close to regaining who he was last year and Junior Guerra has become an absolute weapon as well so now you've got that three-headed monster maybe not quite as dominant as last year but you got three guys who you can trust at the back end and lo and behold everything else kind of falls into place I think I don't want to use the word dominant in any sentence with Junior Guerra not a not a slight at him I just want to be careful about it, but consistent, I think, is the word I would look for with that. Only because, again, if you can trust three guys, any three guys, and if those are the three guys that the Brewers can trust and everything falls into place, that just takes it, it eases everything else from the start of the game. It eases everything from Chris Hook and, and Craig Council from the beginning of the games to make different type of decisions. Well, the Brewers really try hard to put guys in position to succeed. Mm-hmm. That's And it goes back to what you were saying a few moments ago. The Brewers look at every possible scenario and I think at the end of their decision making process they're saying what decision can we make to put guys in a position to succeed I hear from people all the time they complain 
a guy gets pulled out of a, a game when he's being very effective and maybe gets pulled out after five innings or after six innings right before they're about to face the lineup the third time through. And there's people, why, Craig Council doesn't know what he's doing. Why is he pulling him out right now? Well, it's better to pull a guy out an inning early than an inning later. Craig Council wants some of these guys to be able to walk off that mound feeling really good about themselves. That's putting a person in a position to succeed. And when you have those three guys at the back end of the bullpen, all of a sudden those next dominoes, whether it's Corbin Burns or Matt Albers or whoever, oh, Burt Smith, who pitched three <laughs> and a third really effective innings uh, in that uh, game, uh, even though he gave up the, the home run to Wilson Contreras. He did Omen's work uh, in that game. It's a whole lot easier to put guys in that position to succeed when you've got those steady rolls at the back end. And let me, let me go back to the jo- your Josh Hader point about him being used way differently this season. Uh, he has only been used back-to-back days once this year, which is on a similar path as to last year. He was used back-to-back days uh, at the end of April and then at the end of June, I believe, was the other time, back-to-back days. Those are the only two times before the All-Star break he was used back-to-back days. At some point, are they going to make him completely the, the closer? No. And Okay, so then how, do, how does Craig Council change how he's used, or is it still, as Craig Council says, He's going to be using the most high leverage situations as possible. Yeah, I think I think we saw a period this year where he was the one inning, ninth inning guy. Maybe he wasn't being used that. Uh, I, I, I actually thought there was a couple times where he pitched in back to back days, so that actually surprises me a little bit. To be perfectly honest with you, but we went through a period early on in the season where he was being used as a conventional mm-hmm. one inning closer. That's not his strength. His strength is multiple innings in the most high leverage of situations. And if you've got him available one day and it's a one-run game going to the eighth inning, get him in there. Let him finish out the last two games. Last year, the way you used him, there were like two different circumstances. There were the Josh Hader days and there were the non-Josh Hader (laughs) days. And when Hader's available, if it was a tight game at the end of the game, pretty good chance he was finishing it off. If he wasn't available, it was more about Knable and Jeffress being able to, to finish games off. I think you take you want Josh Hader at his best. He is a weapon that is so different 100%. than anything else out there. So on the days you have him available, use him. Multiple innings, high leverage situations, and if that means he's not going to be available for two more days or three more days after that, so be it. Deal with it then. Let him be his best self. I, I agree 100%. That's why I kind of agree with you when you said – uh, it's it could be negative the way that they have been using him. Not that it is, but it could possibly be negative down the line, which is why I'm I'm interested in what happens with Jeremy Jeffress when he gets back to full strength, whatever that will look like this season. And I mean, I just I don't know who else is that guy in the bullpen. Like Junior, you named the three guys: Junior Guerra, Josh Hader, Jeremy Jeffress. And then then who else do you full on trust? Or can you say, okay, I can see this working out. I, I'm still struggling to find that guy. Corbin Burns, for me, is that guy because I think he belongs. I, I could be wrong about this. I think he belongs in the Josh Hader role as a right-hander. And I don't. I disagree with mm-hmm. you there. Now, for this year, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't touch him as a starter again this year. Okay. You've put him in the bullpen. Uh, right now, you know, Jimmy Nelson has one more rehab start at AAA. Uh, Chase Anderson's going to get back. You're going to have seven guys for five spots. Uh, okay, Corbin Burns is a bullpen guy. Let's reestablish what what you're going to do with him at the end of the season. But I still think the difference between Hader and Corbin Burns is Hader has one dominant pitch. Sure, He has other pitches that he'll sprinkle in on occasion, but he has one dominant pitch. So that plays out for a guy who can go face a lineup 
once. Corbin Burns, last time I checked, had 9,234 different pitches. Uh, 35 now, I think. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's got so much in his arsenal. The problem was they weren't all effective this year, and that's why they got stuck in this situation. If the Brewers would have never had any bullpen issues, if Corey Knable wouldn't have gotten injured before the year, if Freddie Peralta wouldn't have had his first inning issues, if all the if everything would have just worked out perfectly fine from a pitching perspective, outs and and everything that happened with Corbin Burns still happened, like that was the one negative, I think he'd still be at AAA as a starter because I don't think the team would have had this feeling that they had to put him in the bullpen to kind of settle the bullpen waters. But they were at a point Going back to where they were at the 5.5 ERA, they were at a point where they needed some help immediately in the bullpen, and then they got Gio Gonzalez, so there's one spot less uh, in the rotation. Mm -hmm. So just put him in the bullpen. That's what they're going to do this year. I still think his future is as a starter. Look, I hope I'm wrong because I'd rather, again, you want to have those guys that are going to go five or six dominant, not dominant, just effective innings every five days. And if, if you can get Corbin Burns to be on that track for his career, Obviously, that's better than throwing him out every couple days when you think and hope he's going to work out. The the rotation, going back to what we were just saying, Nelson, Anderson are both close to being back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nelson has had two rehab starts. He's going to start another one uh, at San Antonio coming up on Friday, and then they'll have a decision to make to keep him there to continue and continue the rehab or uh, to bring him back up. you got five guys right now in the rotation, and I'm including Freddie Peralta because he's throwing starters innings every fifth day it's just they're putting an opener in there to help him avoid the first inning this is this is where the team kind of thought they were going to be at when they went into spring training and they made the decision not to bring back Gio Gonzalez mm-hmm. not to bring back Wade Miley not to bring back uh, a Jordan Lyles the they thought they were going to be in this situation they weren't for the first month and a half of the season. Now they are. I guess it's a good problem to have. I, yeah. I, I think the other good thing about it is that Gio Gonzalez has been able to bend so effective right away. Now, will that continue on? I, fingers crossed. Uh, but I think that's that's been able to alleviate some of the pressures of the decision-making, at least for now. We saw the team do something a little bit different this past weekend, and they'll do this on a When a guy gets into a really, really bad slump, what they do, they do one of two things. If it's like a bench player who's slumping, mm. they give them a bunch of starts in a right. row to see if they can get them out. And when it's a starter slumping, they pull them out completely. And they attempted to do that with Travis Shaw over the weekend. It worked on Friday. Then prior to Saturday's game, Ryan Braun is a little bit banged up, and they end up playing 15 innings. They're stuck in a situation where Shaw has to pinch it, and then he stays in the game. Ends up with four plate appearances, went 0 for 3 with three strikeouts and a walk. His batting average is well below 200 at this point in time. Was not in the starting lineup for the Sunday night game. Again, we're recording this prior to the game, so we don't know if he ends up getting any action on Sunday night or not. But it's not early anymore in the season. We're well into the season, and Travis Shaw's struggles are something to be concerned about. I'll tell you what was the telltale sign for me that it wasn't just a small thing. was in the National Series, he came up several times throughout the whole series with runners on base. And I, I would want to say off the top of my head, I think he struck out in four of those plate appearances with runners in scoring position. Uh, and it was on fastballs right down the middle. Those are not 94-mile-an-hour pitches down the middle are not pitches that Travis Shaw misses. No. And that's what – when I saw that, I was like, ah, that's – that's a bad sign, and I don't even – at this point, it could just be a mental thing. Like He could be thinking to himself, how am I missing these? I think it is a mental – there was a pitch uh, in the extra inning game on Saturday 
where it, it wasn't completely right down the middle, but it was solidly in the zone, and he took it for a strike three. I, yeah, I remember that. And you just saw his body language, and you saw a guy that's going, I knew that was a strike. I don't know why I didn't swing at it. If I did swing at it, generally I would hit it, and I'd probably hit it pretty hard and pretty far. Like you can tell it absolutely is a mental thing. And I felt, to be honest with you, and I know people say, oh, you shouldn't feel bad for these guys. I do. I felt bad for somebody who was told, hey, you're not starting this weekend. At the very most, to you're going to be a pinch head, hitter. Right. And then you end up with four plate appearances. Like From a mental standpoint, he basically played a full game. You're not ready to play a full game when you've been told you're not going to play a full game. And, right, and, and like there's nothing that can do good for you with your confidence unless you're getting impactful hits in games when you don't expect to play. And I, you know what? Back to your, your point 30 seconds ago, it's okay to feel bad for people. I, I will always think that it's okay to feel bad for, for players if you know them to be decent people. If, unless you actively know someone to be bad. Look, you and I have talked to Travis Shaw enough where I think it's okay to say, I don't want him to be bad at no, baseball. No, he's a good dude. So yeah, and every it just that's why it sucks because he was. I think I saw a tweet today again before the Sunday night game that he was the only one taking batting practice, working with coaching uh, or hitting coach Andy Ains. Good sign. It worked out well for Christian Yelich when he had that, if you can call it a slump, about a month ago. <laughs> but I just like his mentally. I, there's no part of me that watches him play baseball this season and says, "Oh, he's going to come out of it." I I I don't know, and it and it sucks because. He was such an integral part two years ago when he came back. And his power last year was such an integral part. And this year, what has he done? Nothing. Let's also not forget, here's a guy who has been so selfless. Mm -hmm. Last year, they make the trade for Moustakis, and he moves over to second base. Then he goes into this year's offseason having no clue if he was going to be the third baseman or the second baseman. You could tell... He preferred third base, and eventually they signed Moustakis, and they say, okay, we can make Moustakis the second baseman because Shaw's so good at third. But he didn't know that was going to be the decision that was made, and he's just good with it. And I know we're moving – I know positionless baseball is something that more and more organizations want to see, and it's certainly something that the Brewers like, or whether you want to call it positionless baseball or positional versatility, whatever term you want to use, it's a direction that we more and more move into, and that's a big thing for the Brewers. But Travis Shaw didn't know what position he was going to be this year. He has been nothing short of the just the perfect teammate and the team-before-self guy. And that's another reason that it stinks to see him going through. And I'm with – I do feel bad. I felt bad for Burt Smith. Here's a guy <laughs> who three innings of, of just fantastic pitching being put in a really, really tough situation and ends up giving up that home run to Wilson Contreras. Like, to me, he didn't deserve to have the L next to his name after that game, but that's not the way it works. If he, he has to. So I, I felt bad for him, too. I, which, yeah, it was, I thought it was a good pitch that he, that he pitched to Wilson Contreras, it too. It was, and, yeah. And, and what a name, Birch, by the way. Just I think that's an excellent pitcher's name. Spelled with a U, not with an a I, U, right. so it's not like the tree. And, and there's no T's, it's just B-U-R-C-H. I think it's a great reliever's name, and I, I felt bad for him, too. But, I, you know... It's, it was a, a promising sign, I guess, if you want to tilt silver lining out of that. By the way, guys who look like two different people, whether they have <laughs> their hat on or hat off, he might lead the Brewers in looking different with hat off. I have to go look at this. You told me about this earlier today. i got to go look at that. Well, I, I realized that when they showed him in the dugout yesterday between innings and he had his hat off. I'm like, that's the same guy? That's Birch? And his hair back in the – when he was pitching for the Royals back in the day – 
I mean, his hair was crazy. If you do a Google search, like you, you're listening to this on podcast right now, so there's a chance you're sitting in front of a computer. If you do a Google image search for Burt Smith Royals and get his headshot on uh, from his Royals day, he had a head of hair. He had a head of hair. Flowing? Flowing. 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 Gotta love it. Doing Wait. the bull dance, feeling the flow. Happy Gilmore reference for those of you who are. Are you a happy Gilmore guy? Of course I am. Okay, Matt, good. Matt, are we not friends? We are, but you're a lot younger than me, and sometimes I throw those references out and you have no clue what I'm talking about. That's just regular stuff when you talk. Okay, that's uh, that's fair enough. It's Back to Shaw for one more second mm-hmm. before we wrap this up. So when they brought Mike Moustakis back, I thought Moustakis was an insurance policy for first base. Follow me along here. Jesus Aguilar really struggled during the second half of the season last year. And I thought if Aguilar's struggles continued, the Brewers were in a position where they could bring back Moustakis. Originally, I didn't know Shaw was going to be at third and Moustakis was going to be at second. I thought you have Moustakis third, Shaw second. Shaw could move from second to first, which he's played a ton of. And then uh, you could uh, bring up Keston Hira, Mauricio Dubon, put him at second base and be good to go. Aguilar obviously struggled. He's come out of those struggles a bit. He's still not really swinging it, yeah. uh, but it's better than it was. And now all of a sudden you look at what's going on with Travis Shaw. Moustakis is playing a little bit more at third as Shaw is out, and that opens up second base in that position. Moustakis has almost become the insurance policy. If Shaw can't come out of his uh, come out of this slump, then you have a Keston Hira who's just killing it. A week ago I would have told you, we're a month, month and a half, two months, three months away from Keston Hira. I don't know now. Like if we if we wake up tomorrow morning and find out Keston Hira has been called up to the big leagues, it's going to mildly surprise me, but it's not going to shock me. Uh, Mauricio Dubon play as much of a role in this or not? I no, not as much as because Hira. Keston is just killing that much, it. Yeah, hitting wise, yeah, yeah, that much better. Yep. Uh, let me ask you a question about Shaw. Um, I believe he has two options left. Hold on. Okay, we're. Uh, the way the interview works is I ask you questions. Right, well, no, no, go ahead. I'm kidding. Uh, so he has, I think, two options left. At, at what at what point does it get bad enough where you feel like you have to send him down instead of just sitting him down? He, I, I just – because I was thinking about this the other day. I just – it's hard for me to tell a guy who's worked so hard like that and has had the success that he's had with the Brewers up until this season – Hey, we need you to go back down to AAA and work on your work on some stuff. We'll see you in ten days. Okay, so this is kind of going to be a funny answer. I don't think that becomes a thing until it becomes a thing. Okay, and that's here's fair. here's what I mean by that. I don't think we can predict that to happen because Adam McAlvey asked the exact same question of Craig Council uh, prior to the last home game. So that was the, was that, that, that was the Nationals, right? That yes, was, okay. Yeah, so series. when they finished off that three game series with the day game on Wednesday, uh, he asked that question because the indication had been given at that point in time that Shaw probably wasn't going to play this weekend in Chicago. And McAlvey asked Craig Council, as you try to get him right, could that potentially include at bats in San Antonio? And Council immediately said no. Okay. So, Council's not gonna. Uh, Council's always got his guys back, so that doesn't become. Again, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about putting guys in position to succeed. 
when your manager is openly talking about the fact that you could possibly be thinking about sending a guy down to AAA, like they may be having that thought process. Right. That's a that's a conversation that very easily could be happening behind closed doors with Craig Council, David Stearns, Matt Arnold, the, the whole nine. But that's not going to be anything that's going to be public until the moment it's going to happen. Could it happen? Uh, at some point, that's got to be the next step, right? Like, what what else? I'll throw back on you. Mm-hmm. What else is the next step? If he does not come out of it, if he continues to hit well below 200, having a hard time even making contact with pitches, to me, the only answer then is, okay, go get him at some at-bats at San Antonio. I don't know what other answer could be that next step. I agree with you. I, I thought of Domingo Santana was the first thing I thought of when, when I started thinking about the, the minor league options. I just – yeah, that that is the logical step of if you if benching him isn't helping, and if playing him more isn't helping, you try you're trying to win baseball games. You need guys who are going to help you win baseball games. His defense will help you win baseball games for the most part. His offense is going to help you lose baseball games right now. And playing with 24 players or playing with 23 right. players, That's, it doesn't help anybody, especially the way the Brewers play baseball. Not good. Not not a good position to be in. All right, follow him on Twitter, at Ashton underscore Rotman. He is WTMJ's lead sports producer. Only. Oh, let's, let me give, uh, <laughs> for those of you who listen to WTMJ a lot, you hear like the station promos for Brewers games and Bucks games, and we call them top of the hour IDs. Like there's music and sound effects and play-by-play bits and sound. All that is put together by Ashton, and he does, he's, he's literally one of the best in the country at doing that. So good on you, Ashton, for all that. Now you now have a, a name and a voice to connect to all the cool, we call it imaging. I'm using radio terms now. We all the imaging that you hear on WTMJ related sports, that is all put together by the great Ashton Rotman. Thank you, Matthew. This is Brewers Extra the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Time to get to uh, what do we call it? Uh, down on the farm. That's where we're going right now on Brewers Extra Needs the podcast. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time to go down on the farm. We welcome in Brad Fort from Brew Crew Ball. He's uh, our guy that we talk to a lot, especially when it comes to what's going on throughout the minor league affiliates with the Brewers. This is our first in-season conversation, and we're actually going to do something a little bit different this year as I ask even more time from Brad, which he seems to be okay with, but we'll see what he's saying next week. Uh, In past years, when we have spoken, we have gone through the entire system in our conversations, and they've been rushed, and if we start at the bottom and go up by the time we get to AAA, it seems like we don't have enough time. Or if we start at top and go down by the time we get to the Timber Rattlers, it doesn't seem to be enough time. So what we're going to do now is it's going to be a two-week conversation where we're going to start with the single-A teams this week with the Timber Rattlers and the Mudcats. And then next week we'll check back in to talk about Biloxi and San Antonio. So I say all that to welcome in Brad Ford to the program. Hi, Brad. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Go, going well. I'm going to cheat, though. I'm going to totally cheat. Everything I just said, I'm going to cheat because there's something going on at AAA that has Major League implications. 
Jimmy Nelson starts again on Saturday. He looked pretty good. We're going to see another start from him coming up on Friday. So even though I said we're not going to talk about AAA, I am going to ask you about Jimmy Nelson. What's your takeaway so far from what you've been able to uh, see from Nelson with the missions? Yeah, I mean, I think every fan should be very happy with the eight and two-thirds he's given so far. Um, comes out of his last start and right out of the gate kind of struggles, gives up two solo homers, but then really settles down and goes through another four and a third. Um, gets into a little trouble in his last inning of work, but he's still working on building up that, uh, you know, uh, stamina that really can help him get later in the game. So you you shouldn't be too surprised when a guy who's been off of pitching for more than a year, um, you know, struggles a little bit later in the outing. But I think uh, considering his first outing, he struggled with walks. Um, command was a little off for him to come back. Uh, the stadium gun was reading around 94 for him. So he was sitting at least in the low 90s, which is a positive. Um, he was able to uh, keep hitters off balance and get strikeouts. And like I said, once he settled in, he really got going. So I think that's very optimistic. Um, based on what I'm seeing, I'm still not expecting 2017 Jimmy Nelson this year. But I think at least getting a reliable fourth or fifth starter for him him for the rest of the year is a very real possibility. And um, I think he's very much needed reinforcements coming down the pipeline for the uh, big league club. Does he look trimmer to you? Um, a little bit, a little bit, but I mean, think that's kind of when uh, you're in rehab, I feel like you either consume more and sit more, or you just work out more and have more ambition, or not ambition. I feel like everyone has equal ambition, but like part of that injury is uh, overcoming that injury is trying to make your body as stronger as you can make it. Um, and so I like I interpret it as I think he just has spent the last year and a half really working on his fitness and trying to get ready for this moment and to come back and not miss a step and be as strong as he possibly can be. All right, let's jump into uh, the Timber Rattlers, and I'll start off by asking you about Bryce Terang, who's hitting uh, two eighty three right now, and uh, obviously this is somebody that a lot of Brewers fans have their eyes on with him being one of the top uh, few prospects, ranked number three by MLB or uh, by uh, yeah MLB Pipeline has him uh, number three behind uh, Keston Hira and Corey Ray. Batting averages there, it's he's committed three errors, but he's done that in thirty games. So playing shortstop, three errors does not seem like to be uh, that many errors. Uh, do the numbers indicate, would you say the numbers uh, would go along with how well he's playing right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the one thing that's missing from his game right now is really power. Uh, we knew that coming in with Bryce Terang. Uh He has uh, six doubles and a triple to his name, and right now his on-base percentage is well above his slugging. His on-base is at 405, his slugging is at 358. Um but, I mean, he's been able to steal seven bases already this season, so he's using his speed to kind of compensate for that lack of power, which is good. And he should add a little bit of power as he gets older. But for being 19, um, he's playing at an, an adult league. Um, so he is uh, well under the age gap for where he's playing and is having a lot of success. Uh, when we talked last year about Tristan Lutz, who we'll get to a, a little later, 
uh, going through Wisconsin, we said, you know, for him being out of high school and being now, right now, Bryce Turing is more than two years under the league average for age. Um, being out of high school and coming into a league with a little bit more advanced talent, um, you're facing some collegiate pitchers, you're facing um, better defenders than he's probably ever faced before. Um, so he's really dealing with a higher level of talent across the board. Uh, and he's really answering that call well. Last year with Tristan Lutz, he had that slow start and then finally got going, started showing his power towards the middle of the season, started having positive results. And we said, that's great. At 19, that's like the, a very satisfactory start. His progression was great. He's continuing to rise through. That looks fantastic. And Bryce Terang exceeding what happened last year for uh, Tristan Lutz. He... I mean, he seems to be picking up the game very well. He looks fluid in the field. Uh, when you watch him, it just looks like everything he does comes naturally. Uh, he's very fast. Uh, he's been able to handle most of the uh, breaking pitches that have come his way. Uh, his strikeouts, uh, a little high at a little bit more than 20%, but he's walking almost 17% of the time, so those kind of balance each other out. He's coming along really well and very, very exciting early start from the guy who, like I said, was playing high school ball a year ago. Yeah, and that's a good point by you, and I want to take a second here, and for people who maybe are listening to this and don't understand sort of the, I don't know, implications, for lack of a better term, of young guys and where they're placed at as they come up, they're, when you get to the lower rungs of the minor leagues, it's kind of the wild, wild west in the sense of, the, how long people have been playing because you got kids who are being drafted out of high school. You got kids who are being drafted after two years at a junior college. You've got kids that are then being drafted after years three, four, or five out of four year colleges. So there's like a there's like a five year period, basically ages eighteen to twenty four uh, that kids are getting drafted out of. And a lot of times the the more the high school kids, maybe we'll get drafted, go play in the Arizona Summer League, and then the next year stick around at extended spring training and then go to uh, what was Helena, now is going to be uh, Colorado Springs, and then finally that third year maybe go to a full-season club. But when you're talking about these top-level prospects like a Bryce Terang, you try to push them a little bit further. So they'll get drafted. Maybe they'll they'll spend a little bit of time in Arizona, a little bit of time what was Helena will be Colorado Springs, and try to get them to that full-season club that next year as Terang is. But, Brad, I, the point you make is, is a fantastic one in that you got a kid who a year ago was playing high school baseball, and he's going against 23, 24 years old. You, know, you look at Scott Sonich, who's another guy for the Timber Rattlers, who was drafted out of college. I bet he's 23, 24. Every team in the Midwest League has guys like that. So low A is one of the toughest things in the world for these really young kids because – of who they're going against and going against some of those college guys who were drafted and they're really into their mid-20s. Right. And to like further your point, you have David Fry on the team. He was a senior coming out of college, drafted last year, was an MVP in his division, and he has experience against advanced bats some of which were drafted and thrown, not necessarily out of his league, but some college bats he may have played against, come drafted out, and they start at 
Carolina or in the Carolina League at the advanced level. Um, so you really do have a wide range of experiences, of talent, of background, and it, he's exceeding the normal trajectory, as you mentioned. Uh, there's He's only played a few games, but a name that's kind of popped out to me that we haven't seen, and he's got a good batting average, and so he's listed at the top of the guys uh, at the, on Tipper Rattler's website. Uh, but uh, I don't even know if I'm saying his first name correctly. Is it Kakei or Kakai Rios? He's only played in five games, but uh, when we talked about the catching situation with the Tipper Rattler, we talked about Fry, we talked about Diaz. Rios has uh, kind of come out of, uh, out of nowhere for me. I'm not super familiar with him. Yeah, he was a draftee that I liked last year uh, coming out of Hawaii. Uh, he's only 21, and he was drafted in the late rounds. I think the intention for him is to kind of fill in the catching depth because one thing teams struggle with is to not have enough catchers in the minor league systems. Um, so I think he's kind of filling that role, and I think at some point we'll see him move down to the Rocky Mountain vibes so he can get more regular playing time. Um, but – Coming out, he was a very nice high-average hitter who is very patient, can take his walks. I mean, you saw how he, last year, he uh, played in the Arizona League, had a 533 on base percentage, was really able to work some of those inexperienced arms uh, and take advantage of having a more advanced approach. Um, he He's a guy who really interests me as someone who I think has the tool set to surprise in terms of uh, players who are never really expected to advance out of the lower league, lower levels. And I think he's one of those players where expectation on him isn't high. He's a fine defender, fine hitter, but he has a very nice contact profile and uh, about 15, 20 homer power that I think uh, can really surprise a lot of people and turn into turn him into a player who is actually someone of note and be one of those continuing late round finds that the Brewers end up grabbing and running off with and are very happy to get. Uh, I'm a little disappointed that he isn't getting more playing time in Wisconsin, but it makes sense to you. As you mentioned with Fry and Diaz, they have a little bit of a log jam there at catcher. Um, Fry has been working a little bit at first base, um, trying to open up more playing time for the other catchers. But I think once Rios really gets that time to play, um, I think his bat will show that he is a little bit above average offensively for a catcher. And I think his defense is already solid enough that uh, as long as he continues his progression and stays average, he's at least a backup catcher in the major, or he's probably a backup catcher in the majors. Um, and a pretty solid one. Since we're talking about catchers, it's kind of funny that I mentioned him before I mentioned the other guys, and Fry and Diaz. It, it seems like every year with the Timber Rattlers, the catching tandem, there's reasons to be excited about these guys, and, and clearly Fry and Diaz, there's optimism for both. Right. Uh, I mentioned Fry a little bit before. Uh, you know, Very experienced bat, MVP uh, coming out of college for his league. Uh, nice power swing, and he showed it, especially at the Miller Park game, where he uh, drove a ball really quickly out of the, her out of the field and uh, hit a homer, uh, major league homer down the left field line. Uh, you can still see a lot of that power uh, when he plays for the Timber Rattlers. Uh, Fifteen doubles, three homers, uh, has good patience at the plate. Um, 
struck out 29 times in 30 games so far. Not great, but not bad either. His average is actually pretty well in decline uh, as he was actually doing pretty well to start out the season, but kind of went into a funk that has slowed down. But, he, I mean, he still hits pretty regularly. He just doesn't pile up hits uh, like he was at the beginning of the season. Uh, so right now he has hit in eight of his last ten games. Um, I really like his offensive profile. He has a good power swing that can really drive the ball out at least to the gaps. Uh, when he is hitting right, he uses most of the field. Um, he'll never be like one who can really rely on right field, but he can definitely drive a ball pretty deep to the right field gap. Um, and then he has a decent home run stroke. Uh, however, we're watching a guy with a lot of history play against what we talked about. Like there's that randomness of a ball where you have a very diverse level of talent. So there's some pitchers who are 20 and really have only played against high school talent. They might be Juco pitchers. They might be four-year seniors going up against a four-year senior like Fry. Um, however, I think he was drafted in around seven by the Brewers because he has the talent to really be of service to the organization. Um, I think he has the bat to carry himself through. And defensively, he's fine. Um, I don't. I think he can already be a level higher than where he is, but I think they see value in him advancing with the pitching staff that he's working with. Uh, he's working with kind of a newer group of pitchers who need a reliable catcher, um, and they have some pretty wicked breaking stuff that definitely needs someone confident behind the plate. So I think they kind of pegged him as that guy to help these pitchers get better in advance. And, hey, if he turns into a major league player down the road, awesome. Uh, because, like I said, he can really get behind a ball and drive it out. Last position player I'll ask you about with the Timber Rattlers, one of my guys, Javon Ward. Uh, it seems like he's still trying to gain some traction, and it kind of goes back to what we've been talking about, uh, going up against uh, you know, playing full-season baseball is not an easy thing to do, especially this early in the season where it's cold. Uh, you know, but hitting two fifteen right now, still trying to get things going. Right, and I think it's easy to forget with Ward because he was drafted in 2017 that he is uh, actually only 19 still. He won't be 20 until October, so until after the season's done. So he's still a young guy. When you see him, he really hangs over you. He's a huge person at six foot five, but he's very lanky still at 190. He needs to put on a little bit more muscle, and that will help him handle some of the uh, more difficult philosophies that he's seeing. Because he has a good swing. He has a quick swing. He can really get around to it. Um, but he doesn't really have – you'll see him struggle sometimes to get out of the infield and make solid contact. A little bit more muscle can help him turn some of those weaker grounders into um, hits that actually escape the infield and fall down and help him out a little bit. Uh, he's kind of busting out of his slump right now. Uh, he was doing pretty bad to start the season. Uh, he fell below 200, I believe, in average uh, towards the end of the month. But now he's back after a four-game hitting streak where he has gone, uh, what is it, five of his last 14. He's back up above 200. Um, I think he's one of those guys who really needs to catch fire and get going, um, and then he'll have a better season once he's actually on the track he wants to be on and has a little groove going. Uh, 
I really want to see what happens once he gains some weight because now he's a solid outfielder, still needs to learn to read the ball better off the bat. When you watch him live, you can see him stutter before he runs and chases down a ball. He has the speed to make up for it, but you really want to see your outfielders have that instinctual jump once the ball comes off the bat. Uh, And then once he gets some muscle on him, uh, he just has a body that looks like it's going to smack balls all over the stadium. And uh, you can finally start to see the power go. He only has two homers in his career, so power is in his calling card right now. Uh, But he's a pretty fast guy. He can run the bases. um, And he still can drive the ball to the gap. So uh, he's still coming along, but an exciting guy. Again, still very young. So I think he's someone who you're – Unlike Terang, who came very polished, uh, mostly matured, Ward is definitely a guy who needs a lot of patience from fans as he develops. All right, let's get into some pitchers, and I know one of your guys is Aaron Ashby, and uh, so far he's pitched pretty well for uh, the club uh, as we talk on Sunday night, 2-1 and one with a 3.77 ERA. When you break that down a little bit more, he's given up 15 runs this year. 11 of them have come across uh, just two of his starts, and then everything else, he's, even, he's given up two runs, he's given up one run, and he's thrown uh, either five or six shutout innings on two other times. So most of his... Uh, most of the damage has been done in a couple starts where he didn't even make it four innings. I got to think you're, you continue to be pretty excited about this guy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, one of the uh, bad outings came in his Miller Park debut when he uh, relieved Drew Rasmussen, uh, came out and allowed five earned runs, uh, seven runs that came across on an air. That was pretty disappointing. But the thing with Ashby is you want to see him throw strikes. When he throws strikes, uh, he can really cruise through a lineup. Um, so you want to see the walk numbers low. And most of his bad outings, you know, he has higher walk numbers, especially his most recent one against Burlington where he allowed five walks. Um, I think he's still learning how to, uh, you know, instead of if they're not going to strike out, try to get them to make bad contact. Uh, right now he's still a predominantly a strikeout pitcher. So you want to see him, instead of trying to get people to reach outside the zone and then letting that result in a walk, actually either spot it better and get the strikeout or spot it in a place where they can't hit it well and get a weak ground out. Uh, that's a maturity lesson that most pitchers need to learn when they enter the professional level, that strikeouts aren't all that matters. Um, but, I, I mean, I really like most of his work that he's put together. His breaking ball continues to be a fantastic pitch and maybe the best breaking ball in the entire system um, up until the major league level. Uh, He has all the promise in the world, and none of those bad outings really make me concerned at that. Uh, He's also only given up two or no home runs this year. He hasn't given up a home run this year. Um, He's just looked really good when he's on, and I think that's more what you can expect from him. Um, you know, a lot of it is him also finding uh, the ability to repeat his delivery. He's a little bit wild when he's uh, coming set, and that's a profile that the Brewers have done very well with, creating consistency in pitchers and helping them repeat their deliveries, helping them repeat their arm slots. So it's really not anything that concerns me with his recent performance lately, and I think he will – be someone who leaves and have a lot of people's attention once uh, the season's over and he continues to advance up the ladder. The guy who leads the team in innings pitched is Scott Sunich, and he's a 
He's a college guy, so that's not shock, shocking that he's been able to go fairly deep into some games. Uh, not really a you know a, a quote unquote top prospect or anything like that. But he was somebody I, I remember talking about him after he got drafted, and I, I always like the guys who have long collegiate careers pitch well or play well, especially in a major conference like he did. I believe he was a Pac-12 guy, either Washington or Washington State, if I remember correctly. Uh, I just I like this guy. and I, I'm very curious to see what's going to happen. And you're always worried about those older guys that if they get off to a slow start at, you know, at full season ball that their time could come short. But luckily for him right now, he seems to be pitching the ball pretty well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, most famous for his no-hitter he threw in college with Washington State. Uh, came as a late round draft pick for the Brewers in 2018. Uh, lefty with, um, you know, not the greatest velocity in the world, but he knows how to pitch and he's taking advantage of some younger hitters who don't necessarily um, have that experience pitching against someone with that type of feel for the zone. Um, he has a very, really, her, like, uh, repeatable delivery. Uh, everything seems clean and doesn't have a lot of effort with him. Uh, he's a guy who I think at least could be in that like Brett Suter type of role where he's more your swing man. I think he's got a little bit more velocity than Suter. Um, but he, you know, can keep hitters off balance. He can induce weak contact. Uh, he gets himself out of jams. Uh, he just is one of those people who understands pitching and can work around his own ability to get good results. All right, let's um, let's talk about one more guy uh, from the Timberwolves before we bump up to uh, the Mudcats. Adam Hill, three and two, three point six two ERA, six games, five starts, twenty seven and third innings pitch. He is a guy who is uh, considered one of the uh, one of the top thirty prospects uh, in the organization. I don't know about you. I don't feel like as many people are talking about him, and he's he's the number twenty seven prospect. Maybe that's why, but uh, he's somebody who. I think there's a good reason to continue to keep an eye on what he's doing. No, I agree. I mean, he's a six foot six righty who can peak at 95. Uh, that's always good news. Uh, when I've watched him, he's looked very comfortable on the mound. Um, you know, I've paid a lot of attention to him, especially being the return from the Keon Broxton trade with the Mets. Um, he really seems to know how to mix his pitches well, which is really nice because his breaking pitches actually kind of work a little bit better than his fastball. So he'll throw a pretty high amount of them. Um, I really like his slider. Um, it's becoming, or like it's one of those things that's really, you can see where it's headed, but it's not quite there yet. And the end result makes you drool. But here's another one of those fourth round draft picks. When you look at like Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, those early round draft picks, who collegiate pitchers who aren't necessarily the top most scouted people in the world, and the Brewers were, I'm sure, interested in Hill before the Keon Broxton trade, get an opportunity to get him, basically get another fourth round draft pick through that trade, and he's one of those guys where just with a little tweaks, you know, again, it's when you see collegiate pitchers at this level generally you're looking at guys who don't repeat their delivery well, um, especially if they take a little while to advance out. So they're working on bare-bones mechanics. Uh, their their velocity is good. They're breaking stuff solid. Um, they 
understand the concept of pitching and like the mind game that goes against working uh, pitcher or hitters to get ideal weak contact to get them to strike out. Um, but you're working on mechanics and fine tuning that and getting healthy, repeatable deliveries and arm slots. And uh, he's one of those guys who really needs that help. And once he gets that help, I feel like he can be the Woodruff where he just cruises through right to the top of the organization and is at worst a reliable bullpen arm. Um, he's someone who once they got him from the Keon Braxton trade really excited me. And we, we as a community for like the prospect guys that people follow on Twitter and we as fans don't talk enough about him because he's a very exciting presence um, in the Timber Rattler staff and in the farm system. Um, and when you watch him be dominant right now in the minor leagues, he's really fun and you could really see where his potential is going and who he could be in the future. And it's exciting. All right, let's jump up to uh, the Carolina Mudcats and, you made reference to it earlier that we'd be talking about him. Uh, Tristan Lutz, number four prospect in the organization, according to uh, MLB Pipeline. Taking a look at the numbers, 231 hitter uh, in, in 29 games. What's going on with him right now? Uh, so actually, he is basically repeating what he did at Wisconsin. He got off to a very rough start. Um, and, I mean, middle of April was only hitting 119. Since then, he's kind of taken off and has raised his batting average almost over 100 points. You've seen him smack a couple home runs. Uh, He just had one yesterday uh, that was a a really solid hit that lined itself out of the stadium and sped out. Um, He's been taking more bags, getting extra base hits. So you're seeing him. He seems to be either a slow starter or just a guy who really needs that time to develop and adjust to the league as he moves up the ladder. Um, But now you're really seeing him get behind balls. Uh, As I continue to watch him in the outfield, he looks very good out there. Um, As he gets more time, he'll look more natural. He does look a little rigid. uh, And there is concern about his development when he gains muscle, if that will slow him down. But as of right now, where the player he is, as a 20-year-old at A-Advanced, he looks very good, and he's really starting to make a lot better contact now recently. Um, in fact, he's in the midst of a five-game hitting streak, and he's hit in nine of his last ten. So, yeah, he's really coming along. Um, <laughs> if we had talked about this a month ago, it would have looked like a very pathetic effort for him as he was getting going. But he's definitely one of those guys where you just need patience with him. And I'm still trying to figure out, like I said, if it's he's a slow starter or if it's him adjusting to the league. Uh, we we mentioned the catchers from last year with the Timber Rattlers. They're now with the Mudcats and uh, Mario Feliciano and, and Peyton Henry. Two guys, I think you feel very much the same way as I do. Like of, of all the prospects that I'm excited about in the organization, Feliciano and Henry are two really exciting guys. Yeah, and watching them compete as prospects at the Carolina League has been really interesting. They seem to be stuck in this anything you can do, I can do better type of uh, competition. I'm not sure if it's formal or not, but it's been really enjoyable. Like yesterday... Uh, Feliciano goes out, he hits two home runs, one's a game winner, and I'm talking Saturday. Um, it's a home run in the eighth to bring the uh, Mudcats within a run, comes back out, hits a three-run homer, wins the game, he walks off, 
goes 0 for 4 today. Peyton Henry had the day off on Saturday, but he comes back, goes 2 for 4 today. Um, their stats have been eerily similar throughout the league. Now they're trying to set, or they're starting to separate more into, I think, what makes them individual hitters. So I think Feliciano is always going to be a higher average guy than Henry, whereas Henry, you're going to get a little bit of everything. Uh, he he's a power guy. He's a doubles guy. He walks well. Um, doesn't necessarily have the best patience at the plate. He strikes out quite a bit. Uh, but he, other than the strikeouts, he really has a good combination of tools. Uh, Feliciano's the better hitter, and Henry's the better catcher. Um, but they're both very close to each other, as you can just tell by the stats we've gone through already. Um, in fact, I hadn't even looked at this beforehand, but I knew Peyton Henry was above 50 for strikeouts. He's at 53 through 34 games. And there's Feliciano at 49 through 34 games. It's like everything they do, they do together. Uh, so it's been a really interesting competition. I think that uh, eventually one's going to separate from the pack, but if you had to make me pick right now, I don't think I could pick one. Um I mean, Henry's defense really is more solid than Feliciano's, but Feliciano's shown such growth behind the plate in recent years that you'd expect that growth to deliver kind of like Jacob Nottingham. He came in and they said, guy can barely catch a ball. Now he's actually a pretty good defensive catcher, and Feliciano is really coming along as well. He starts from the system at 17, has those three years of grooming, and that development has shown and shown that he's taken it seriously. Um so I don't know who's going to come out ahead when this finally has to come to fruition. I'm kind of hoping they just end up splitting time at the major leagues and coming out together because uh, it's just been really fun to watch two prospects at the same position in the same team at the same level uh, go head-to-head, really just because Feliciano was so banged up and injured last year. It slowed him down, and he had to repeat this year at Carolina. Where does this group of pitchers maybe rank for you across all the teams. I mean, you look up and down, whether it's File or Henson, Benoit, Rasmussen, who we talked about earlier, Braden Webb. I mean, there's the, this is a really, really solid group of pitchers that uh, have been in uh, Carolina this year. Right. Um, it, it's interesting because I think these are the under-the-radar guys. Uh, so you have uh, Noah Zabalas who uh, was a member of the trade to the Mariners for Domingo Santana. He's leading the team with 42 innings pitched, um, has like really good control, Uh, only seven walks on those 42 innings, um, strikes out enough uh, of his batters, 37, but he's not like a dominant strikeout guy, but he looks really comfortable on the mound. Watching him go through eight innings of, just over 90 pitches um, in his last start. He just, he has a good work rate. He looks very comfortable. Everything he does seems to come naturally. He's not forcing his arm through uh, his delivery. He's very patient and, you know, executing his pitches very well to the catcher. Um, I think it's time to move him up to, uh, or consider moving him up to double A just because he looks too advanced for the uh, Carolina League. Um, but again, he's a recent draftee, so you don't want to rush him too much. Uh, he was drafted last year 
uh, later rounds. Uh, one, you know, because he's coming out of Harvard, it's a lesser-known school. Drafted in the same round as uh, Sunich, um, but he's looked very comfortable on the mound. And I'm not sure. Maybe it's because he's 23 and is a little ahead of some of those advanced guys. Um, but it's so far, come off as he's just a very casual, comfortable pitcher. And I've very much liked what he's shown. Uh, then you have Dylan File, who was an all-star last year for the Timber Rattlers. Uh, had a very good outing today. Uh, you know, started off the season a little rough. Got banged up in his first three starts. But since has put together a few solid consecutive outings. And I think most important of all, through his nearly 41 innings, has only given up three walks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's 22. Uh, has spent a few years in the system now, was drafted in 2017. And each time he advances, he gets a little bit better than he was the year before. Um, I, I'm hoping for that to continue. And I think if any one of the group that of the pitchers that are currently with Carolina is going to make a, the top 30 list and isn't on it right now, I think Files the person to do it. Um, he kind of reminds me of what we expected from Cody Ponce, like a reliable band pitcher who um, can get handed her like good strikeouts, but just looks like very comfortable on the mound. Um, and is one of those guys where like you see him and you're like, yeah, he can be a four or five starter easy. And it just looks like he's going to have a simple progression to the majors. He'll just go step by step by step climb the ladder year by year, and then he's in the back end of a rotation. He just looks like one of those guys who's eventually going to get there. Um, And I think it's someone who I think I need to start talking about more because he has a ton of talent. Um, And I think anytime you're talking about a 21st-round draft pick, and the potential of being in the starting rotation, I think it's cause to be excited. When you mentioned these guys are kind of the under-the-radar guys, that's something the Brewers do about as good a job as anybody out there turning under-the-radar pitchers into guys who can contribute at the major league level. Yeah, absolutely, Um, especially lately. I've talked about it before, but the Brewers used to have this reputation of being unable to develop pitchers. And now they're, you know, taking career journeymen like Junior Guerra, turning them into dominant relievers for a couple of years, dominant starters. Um, you're taking pitchers who are getting passed up in the draft, like your Zach Browns, who were a fifth rounder, and turning them into some of the more valuable prospects in all of major league um it's and they're finding success with other players prospects as well so you look at like a trey shupak who was drafted by the pirates wasn't really going anywhere too quickly now oh, look at he's at double a with a 227 era yeah. i feel like they just when they see something they like in a pitcher they help coach them to what they see and uh, what's working for them. So they look at their profile and they say like, okay, this is where you're having success. We need to build off of this and continue your development based on what's working for you versus other systems. And perhaps in the past, they try to reshape you into the picture they think was best. Um, I remember 
in the Melvin era, every pitcher had to come in and learn good command of a fastball and changeup, which is, I mean, basically pitching 101. But uh, because the organization was going to build off a changeup, the changeup was going to be the pitch that built success because it was so important to setting up all the other pitches. Very true. But when you're looking in terms of generalities, but then when you look at the individuals, it's very hard to enforce on an individual basis. Um, and to change and mold those pitchers to the shape you want them to be, you're ending up with a product that isn't what you ended up drafting. So you draft a player, he's a fastball curveball guy, you make him a fastball changeup guy who also throws a, cha- a curveball, and you you have a completely new talent, and you don't know how they're going to perform on that level. And I feel like Stearns and company and the pitching or- staff that's with the organization has done a great job of taking the strengths and really playing up to that. Um, you can see some consistencies throughout the system where they obviously believe certain pitches work better than others. Like, um, you know, since the or- or the shift in management of the organization, all of a sudden splitters have become a lot more popular. Um, I think that's an organizational focus and an organizational shift. Um, but you can also see that they're not forcing it upon hitters or pitchers. They're making sure that they're comfortable and working with the tools that are going to make them successful. All right, last thing for you, and this isn't really a mildly question, but I think it kind of goes along with what you're saying, so I want to get into it for just a second with you. I think we can say that over the last few years, the Brewers have probably valued their homegrown pitchers more than the industry has valued them. And more often than not, they've been right about these guys when you see what they've been able to contribute at the major league level. We can argue whether or not they were right this year with the way things got started uh, with the three younger guys in the starting rotation. To me, uh, that's a that's a to-be-determined jury is still out. But with everything that you just said, do you feel like the Brewers, maybe sometimes when they've developed these guys, they do overvalue them or place more value on some of their homegrown pitchers than people outside the organization would? Yes, and I think it's because they're looking at them differently than the rest of the league is. I think the rest of the league is looking at a bare-bone skill set where the Brewers are looking at if we use this guy in this very specific way, if we use him, whether it's as a starter or if we use him as the sixth and seventh inning guy or a multiple inning reliever, and we have him throw these three pitches, and we do her like, and the, he's getting hitters to hit the ball in this direction. And if we have this shift, we're going to be able to find a lot of success with this guy. Um, I feel like other organizations, when they analyze the prospects and when they scout the prospects, they're looking at is the fastball a plus fastball? Is the fastball good in velocity? Is the breaking ball does it have plus break? Does the fast or velocity match the fastball velocity in terms of like the tiers you want breaking pitches to break in? Uh, that's a whole different pitching mechanic. <laughs> um, but they are looking at those physical tools and physical traits, and the Brewers end up valuing them more because they see them as this chess piece to get to win more games and to then ha- hopefully win more championships. And I think because of that, they end up placing a substantial more value on their pitching staff than anyone outside the organization because no one outside the organization has any idea what that specific plan ends up being. 
That's fair, and I agree. I absolutely uh, do agree. All right, folks can follow you on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. Take uh, take listeners through uh, what they can see from you, uh, really on a daily basis at uh, BrewCrewBall.com. Yeah, so every day we follow the top prospects, and I do uh, daily updates on what the top players in the system are doing, and also just tracking top performers in the minor league system. And then also weekly, you can always count on. Uh, analysis of the uh, you know top statistic getters for the week and how everyone's advanced from week to week to week in terms of their statistics. Uh, we try to put it in a form that's very easy to track and look at, and also we really break it out specifically on um, like the top prospects that you can track, the 30 prospects you might be most familiar with. But what we really want to do is also help player, or help fans get familiar with players who are a little outside of the top 30s and top prospect rankings and see you know those guys to latch on to who are having great games but aren't on lists so they don't necessarily get the attention everyone else is getting. So we want to help you you know kind of figure out your own way about that. Um, but also as we get to a point where more advanced statistics are coming along from uh, some of our supporting statistical sites like uh, Baseball Prospectus, uh, we'll start doing more analysis on some of the seasons and uh, looking at uh, performances thus far, whose performances you can trust, um, what issues might be occurring. Uh, like we, I think we're planning a dive into Zach Brown and seeing kind of what his issues are and looking into whether or not anything's changed from last year to list because he just had an outing where he gave up uh, eight runs. So uh, just look for, you know, for my end prospect analysis and we're always doing detailed analysis on what the team's going through. So we're always looking for why is Travis Straw- Shaw struggling? Why is Christian Yellich so majestic and amazing? So you can always <laughs> count for that type of coverage from Brew Crew Ball. Great stuff. Hey, uh, appreciate that. We're going to do this again next week. We'll hit on uh, Biloxi and uh, San Antonio next week. Can't wait. Brad Ford joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Let's look ahead to the week that is coming up. Brewers on the road out east starting on Monday, a four-game series against the Philadelphia Phillies. Going to be uh, three night games coming up on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 6.05 first pitch, and then they'll start at noon coming up on Thursday. Then they'll head to Atlanta to take on the Braves next weekend for a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. Of course, you can hear all the games on WTMJ except when the Bucks are on. The Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals as they're set to match up against Toronto. They've got home games at Fiserv Forum coming up on Wednesday and Friday. And for those two games and for all the Bucks playoff games moving forward, if they're at the same time as the Brewers, you'll be able to switch over to 94.5 ESPN-FM and find the uh, and find the Brewers game there, including our post-game show, Brewers Extra Innings. Do I say thank you to uh, my guests this week, Ashton Rotman and Brad Ford. Look forward to talking to you next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.